Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, and joining me today is sports broadcaster, former former and current swimmer, uh, Helen Yee. Helen, how's it going? Hey, thank you for having me. This is my first ever swimming podcast I've ever done, so I'm very excited. It's, you know, near and dear to my heart. So Helen just got back from Fight Island in uh, Dubai, and we're going to get to. I'm so excited to hear about that. I've I've been watching a lot of the fight nights with my friends on the weekends, and so I'm stoked to hear about that. We're going to get to all of it, but first, let's start off with with Helen's swimming roots, the reasons she's here. Helen, how'd you get into swimming, and, and tell us a little bit about your journey in the pool. Are you sure you're ready for a little complicated (laughs) story? Strap in, (laughs) listeners. Okay. Well, um, yeah, you know, and I credit a lot of what I do now as a sports reporter, as a broadcaster from my swimming roots. I mean, I credit like the discipline, the dedication, the motivation, everything that I've taken from being a former and I guess now current swimmer, um, I apply to my career now and how I built everything um, that way. I started swimming when I was five and a half years old. Um, Per my parents, I used to have a very weak immune system. I would like turn purple. I was just super skinny, frail, got sick all the time. They wanted me to, um, you know, just get into a sport to get stronger, get healthier. And they took my sister and I, into swim lessons, but little did they know we would actually become like decent swimmers. Um, so when I was eight, I remember, you know, I would like race like 21 year olds and whatnot. And I was like, wow, like I really love this sport. Like it's really fun and, you know, teammates and whatnot. Um, so I swam when I was five and a half till I was 14. So this is where it gets complicated. And I, Whatever happened when I was younger, um, I do not ever want to put blame on anybody. You know, it's no one's fault. Everything works out the way it does, right? And that's why things come full circle. And I was able to become a sports broadcaster and then now kind of hoping to reach my swimming dreams and complete that childhood dream. So when I was uh, about 10 years old, you know, I, I qualified or made it to Western zones. I don't know if they still have it. I think they do. Um, yeah, I did that when I was 10 and 12. I swam on sandpipers, uh, which most people know, you know, Cody Miller uh, has swam for sandpipers. He was actually my teammate uh, and a training partner of mine growing up. So when I was younger, I always had the hopes of you know, turning pro, becoming an Olympian. Like that was my goal, making Olympic trials, becoming an Olympian, swimming for USC. And everything I did was eat, sleep, swim. Yeah, I still did school, of course, but it was, I just love swimming. I love competing um, and setting goals, working hard to achieve it. So basically, I'm like trying to phrase it how uh, to delicately phrase this. Um, you know, my parents wanted us to focus 
more on academics, but I was getting scholarships since I was like in middle school. Um, and that was at the time they used to mail letters um, and stuff like that. I don't, probably nowadays they don't do that. It's like way more tech savvy now. But back then, you know, when I was younger, uh, they did that. And so basically my parents wanted me to focus more on academics. So I'll never forget my last Junior Olympics. Um, it was 2006 in August and I was 14 years old. And most of my meets, you know, I would aim to get like top three. Um, and they, you know, basically, I mean, that, that was the last meet that I had as a club swimmer. I'll leave it at that. So um, as far as like being a swimmer, I think, you know, after I swam high school, I won state in the 5300 free when I was a junior. Um, and then that was my end. But when I swam high school, I would only swim three months out of the year. You know, it was just a seasonal sport. I could not swim year round anymore. Um, so when that happened, I was like, you know, let me just try to win state. Like I, I still love competing. I still uh, want to hopefully be able to still swim in college or, you know, do something. Um, and mind you, though, on a side note, it wasn't because my grades weren't good or anything. It was just, you know, there, I guess, was a disconnect or something. Um, so at that time, and even like when I was 12, you know, I was like nationally ranked for 11, 12 year, year olds and stuff like that. Um, so basically, you know, I quit when I was 14, swam high school, sophomore, junior year. And then after that was the end of my swimming and then afterwards I was you know kind of like depressed lost I uh, didn't know who I was because at the time being an athlete I mean you identify with it right and especially when you feel like you know your goal is to make a certain cut or a certain time to drop time to try to get first place top three it's like you know, when you're very young and you set those goals, when you don't have that anymore, it's like, okay, who am I? Like, all I knew how to do was eat, sleep, swim. And we all know how much you have to swim and have to train, right? You have to put everything into it if you want to be great. So after I quit, I was lost and I didn't really know who I was anymore. And it took years up until... Um, my sports reporting stuff happened. Yeah, I think I think that's a story a lot of swimmers can relate to. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> many, if not all, swimmers can relate to. You know, um, it, it, at some point, everyone's competitive club career comes to an end, and uh, and yeah, again, you know, it, it's certainly not ideal if it's not on your terms or, or, or you want it to continue, but. Um, that feeling of being lost, of, of, of having your identity, you know, kind of set out for you and then being taken away and not really knowing who you are. I, I think every swimmer can relate to that. Well, that, that makes me happy. Like I, hopefully my story, you know, can help someone who's younger. Um, like I was at the time, because later on in my life, I definitely want to uh, open up a foundation to help kids who, 
you know, have dreams in sports and help them pursue their dreams and goals because I was never able to complete mine or fulfill mine at a young age, but I understand the importance of, you know, when you're at that age, how important it is to, you know, like if you set that goal to complete it, to do what you set out to do, if it is trying to be great at something. Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk after that. You know, you, you, you've lost your identity as a swimmer. Your career um, is over for the time being. How, how did you deal with that? You know, did you, did you go off to college? Did you find other interests? Did, did you, did, did pouring yourself into your academics help or was that, you know, did, did that really not <laughs> fill that void very much? No, I just, I'm a competitive person, but in like something athletic like I have to do something uh basically I actually I became a lifeguard when I was 15 and a half first job ever and I during my time as a lifeguard I gained to 217 pounds so I just got kind of like you know depressed I was eating a lot but still on that swimmer's calorie right you're like intaking like oh three double cheeseburgers a, you know, Big Mac fries, a Coke, like I can down all that and still look, you know, have a six pack. But then afterwards I couldn't like make my stomach shrink. So I would still eat all of that. And then, you know, I kept growing. But, um, so basically I first found food as a way to cope, which is definitely not the way. I mean, if you're eating unhealthy, uh, which I still kind of do, but um, and then, you know, I tried going to college, um, tried to see what I enjoyed doing, but I'll be honest, like I literally poured my heart and soul into swimming, like every part of me for those 10 years thought that I would end up making the Olympic trials or turning pro as a swimmer, go to USC, study business. Like I had that in my mind since I was like 10 years old. Um, and I did swim at USC for, I think it was zones. Yeah. When I was 10. Um, so that's when I knew like, okay, this is a sport I want to go to. And that's what I want to do. Um, so I'll be honest. I mean, afterwards it took me a long time. Like I think from 16 till 22 years old, those six years, I just, I lost myself like I even bleached my hair blonde like I just I did not know who I was like that the missing identity I think was um something that was very uh just serious and it was something I had to go through to I guess understand who I really am right but I think we all kind of go through some sort of identity crisis when you're around that age um then when I was 22, because when I was younger, I was always very shy, hated talking. I could not even like talk to you right now. Um, and I would never maintain eye contact, even if it's, whether it's even talking to my dad, like I would whisper and like be afraid of like my aunts and uncles, like around family, um, around people. I wish I was invisible in school. I was like, I hope no one sees me. I'll just sit here. And that's where I think I resorted to swimming as a safe space, you know, safe spot where I could feel 
comfortable and I could feel that, oh, no one's judging me. Um, I mean, but they were, you know, your times, but it was just like a different part um, of just making me feel safe. So I think when I was 22 years old, I was like, you know, I hate being shy because my teacher, even in fifth grade, I'll never forget it. He freaking yelled at me. He was like, Helen, stop mumbling. And like, he literally like shouted in my face and I was like, oh my God, like I started crying and I just even at fast food restaurants, like I could not order through, you know, a drive-through. I could not look people in the eye, even walking in a McDonald's. Um, so I said to myself, you know what, what I love doing is sports. You know, I grew up watching all pro sports, like with my dad, with my younger brother, even grew up as a huge pro wrestling fan, WWE. Um, so I would never miss that. <laughs> Monday, Tuesday, yeah, Monday Night Raw, Tuesday, ECW, um, Thursday was TNA Impact at the time, Friday, SmackDown, and then I believe Saturday night was the one-hour replay. That's so awesome. I, I obsessed over WWE. That, that's another story. Um, so when I was 22, I was, like, fed up with myself. I was like, I hate myself because I'm so freaking shy. I can't talk to people, and I'm, like, afraid of people. That was my biggest fear in life. So I, but I knew the only thing I felt comfortable talking about were sports. So I was invited to be on a like radio show with two other women, but they would talk about like fashion and stuff. And they said I could talk about sports. Um, after a month, the producer was like, wow, you suck. <laughs> like, he was like, you are not good. And I was like, I know, but then it lit a fire in me. But that was the first time I found the same fire that I had in swimming. And I was like, oh my, I love this feeling where it's like, I know I'm not great, but I want to challenge myself to be great. So I created my own show called Eyes on the Game. Um, and I started, at the time I had to pay for everything. Like basically I was cocktail waitressing, um, and then saving up all my tips to invest in my show, um, just to try to conquer my fear through something I loved, which was sports. So I had a co-host, he quit on me after a few months, and then I had another co-host who, he also quit on me. So I was like, damn, I freaking suck, and I know <laughs> it, and this sucks, right? But then I'm like, you know what? I suck so bad. I just want to be good. I want to work at it every minute, every day. So I would cocktail waitress um, like 12 or 2 a.m. I would get there at 12 though, 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. Then write sports stories. I was more comfortable writing. And cocktail waitress, it's like we just serve drinks. It's like a bartender, but you walk around and we don't make the drinks. So for those who may not live in Vegas, I'm born and raised. So just in case like people want to know and I waitress at a casino um okay. which would explain the 2 a.m to 10 a.m window yeah, i was like yeah. what I restaurant is open i was like oh okay casino <laughs> no I, I saw your eyes and it was red rock casino so um yeah you could google it it's real don't worry <laughs> <laughs> it, it's an awesome place um yeah so you know then i would do sports and then there would be a lot of people like even a friend of mine, a good friend of mine for 12 years, we ended our friendship because she's like, you'll never make it in sports. And I'm like, like the more that people told me this, I'm like, you know what? I want to keep doing it because 
I'm not good and I'm afraid of it, which I know it sounds weird. Like, why would you do that? Right. But I love the thrill of a good challenge of self-improvement because that's what swimming kind of taught me the dedication and everything and hard work. So, um, I, yeah, did my own show within a few months. Um, it got picked up on AM radio because it started off on the internet and then a few months after that, it got picked up by NBC Sports locally in Vegas. And then I started writing articles for the local ESPN. And then in 2016, in May, uh, Floyd, May Floyd Mayweather Sr. told me that his son would be coming out of retirement to fight an MMA fighter. And I said, is that Conor McGregor? And, you know... The rest is kind of history with that. And that was picked up by like TMZ, Fox Sports with Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. And it literally like blew up. But that's when I, um, I didn't start doing on camera interviews until like a month or two before that in 2016. So I started doing radio 2014 in February. But it was just like a hobby. It was obviously nothing I could really do for a living. Um, then in 2016, I quit my job as a cocktail waitress. And I said, you know what? Let me just uh, try like, and see where it goes. I saved up my tips and stuff. And um, yeah, basically since then, um, all that news broke. And then I built like my YouTube stuff and my show was on NBC Sports. And then I started working for them. I've done stuff with Top Ring Boxing on ESPN uh, in, on the production side as well. Um, and I mean, I've done everything from being a one woman band, um, saving up all my tips. Uh, basically, I would host like a Monday night football, drive like 10 hours by myself in the middle of the night um, to like Albuquerque to go do interviews because I wanted it so bad. Wait, 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 wait. Who are you interviewing in Albuquerque? Jackson Wink, MMA. So okay, like, okay. John Jones trains there. And um, yeah, so I just, I wanted it so bad. And I wanted it because it challenged me. And I knew it was A, my biggest fear in life, speaking and talking to people. And B, that I sucked at it. So that's why I love it, you know? And um, since then, everything has turn into what it's become, which, you know, now I do it full time and I'm very grateful for all the support. That I've, so story in a nutshell, I mean, that's, it's no, no, no. I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. And I think that's a story again, extremely relatable. So many people out there don't like talking. I don't particularly like talking. I, I do it for a living too. It's not my favorite pastime, but you know, there, how many people do you encounter that say, Oh, I hate public speaking or, or I hate talking on camera. I mean, it's learning how to conquer that fear and, and being exhilarated by it, inspired by swimming. I mean, that's, that's super cool. And so, so I do have some, some nitty gritty questions. Uh, so I'm curious when you were on radio before, before you, you kind of got picked up and, and you really got some steam going. Were you just covering pro sports? Were you covering everything you could? I mean, did you have a, a specific sports that you'd cover or you just did anything? Well, my favorite to cover, I mean, besides swimming, right? <laughs> um, 
is MMA. You know, I love covering MMA um, and also boxing. So those were two of my favorites, just more combat sports. But uh, when I worked for the radio station, you know, and you're new, you don't really have an option, right? So I covered everything from like taking photos at high school sports to college sports, obviously UNLV writing articles. I covered the Golden Knights, um, their inaugural season through the Stanley Cup final, which is one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Um, so I've done stuff for that. And I remember even like when we were in Winnipeg, because I would film, edit, produce, write, host, like I would do everything and be a one woman band. So I would hit the record button, run to the other side and then do an interview. And I remember waiting because the Wi-Fi um, at the place we were staying, it was so slow. And I would stay up till like 5 a.m. getting everything uploaded and edited um, and then having to wake up being at their morning skate by like 8 a.m. You know, so that was rough, but I enjoy every moment because I love it. And I always say, like, I know I'm not the most talented and I know I wasn't like, quote, gifted to do this, but I will outwork everyone and I, I will show you. So. So, you know, again, one woman band, you did it all, <laughs> push the film button, did the interview, edit it. I mean, you know, people get four year degrees in that. Did, did you have formal training in this? Had you had experience in this before? Did you have to learn all this on the fly? Because, I mean, that that's, you know, that's all hard stuff. Yeah, I learned it all on the fly um, because, well, I learned it from, you know, that radio show, the internet one, when they the guy approached me, the producer, and then when he said I sucked. So then after, I was like, oh, <laughs> you think I suck? I'm going to learn everything now, you know? So uh, just a lot of in the beginning, especially having good mentors and good people that I could kind of ask some questions. But yeah, I mean, I had to learn everything on my own and definitely no one gave me like an easy route. Like they made sure I really had to work very hard for everything, which I'm fine with that, you know? Yeah. So, so let's get a little more current um, with what you're doing today. Now, are you, I, I know you're covering MMA very extensively. Do you cover other sports or is that pretty much your, your realm now? Well, first off, um, especially during this time, I think, uh, and pro huge props to Dana White, huge props to the UFC, right? For being the first, especially in this pandemic to put all these fights on and do such a great job. Like I said, I just came from Abu Dhabi. I was there for about uh, three and a half weeks and everything, like all the protocols were immaculate. Like it was perfect. I felt so safe there. Um, and I felt we took seven tests there, seven COVID tests. So everything was just very safe. And um, I, again, I had a great experience, but in terms of sports coverage, so my favorite sports to cover, um, MMA, so the UFC. Um, and I love covering, I mean, I've covered everything from NBA, NFL, NHL, uh, MLB, Dodgers games. Um, I've 
covered like so much. Even the ISL went to my first one. You Did know, you? in the winter. Yeah, I interviewed uh, Michael Andrew. So, and he was super nice. Uh, and I was like impressed. I'm like swimming now is way different than I, when I swam. I'm like, holy crap, it upgraded like a million percent. Like this is so cool. But yeah, so in other words, I cover everything. I've even covered WWE. It was freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to 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 come so full circle to be able to cover, you know, an event that you grew up idolizing is is an exceptionally cool experience. Um, so let's, let's talk about fight Island a little, um, because, and we'll get to this after, but you know, the ISL is talking about doing something very similar, um, in, in an undisclosed location as of now, but, um, give us a little insight into, you know, the precautions they were taking in fight Island, what it looked like for you as the media, um, and, and how covering that was, you know, maybe a little bit different than your typical fight. Yes. Well, it was very different in a good way, though, um, in terms of being in this COVID era, right? Unfortunately, um, basically, when we got there, we were uh, tested, then quarantined for 48 hours. So we were literally just in our hotel rooms, couldn't go out, couldn't even open the door and peek your head out. Like they were very strict, which I'm very grateful for, because as we can all see, right, how smooth all those fights went um, that month, you know, I'm like, it's still July, but yeah, earlier in July, those yeah. three and a half weeks, all those shows, I mean, it was just flawless. So we were um, quarantined. And then after that, um, so we were getting like before every fight, we would get a COVID test. Um, so they would give you the option like nose or the throat swab uh mm-hmm. throat ones better in my opinion <laughs> it's like it the nose one i'm like uh it, it was not fun at all i I've took heard, that <laughs> i've heard bad things about the nose test oh my god especially if you have like small nostrils or if you've broken your nose it's like <clears throat> not fun um yeah, so with that, uh, they were very good with like sanitizer, having gloves. Like right when you walk into the hotel, you would have to sanitize your hands. So they would have a bottle. They would check your temperature to make sure you know your temperature is good. Um, they would have face masks basically like right when you walk in of the hotel near the air- elevators, face masks, gloves sanitizer and then when you walk in from being outside um they would check your temperature and then every few days they would um basically do covid tests and then during the time that we were quarantined they would deliver meals to us like breakfast lunch dinner but in disposable bags and even when we ate there like for example uh at their buffet obviously it wasn't your standard or typical buffet they would have people serve it to you but everything you know social distance and um i i just felt like it was a very smooth process how everyone handled that and i respect the fact that you know they definitely like i said um when we were first quarantined we if we took a step outside like people would know you know so i I respect the fact that they made sure you know and had concern of 
our health, our well-being to be able to put on such great events. Yeah. Uh, this is a this is a personal question because I know what it's like to to travel to events like this and to and to be there kind of on your own. Um, that on top of being quarantined, obviously this isn't, you know, safety is the priority, but it sounds like that could get pretty lonely. It sounds like that could get a little stir crazy. I mean, how much, how much human interaction did you have even when, you know, the fights were happening and you were reporting and how much was it just kind of you being independent on your own? Well, uh, luckily, um, I'm very grateful. My boyfriend, he's also a, he's a sports personality. Um, he's called the Schmo. So uh, we work together and we cover uh, these events together. We have a podcast, the Schmo's own podcast. So uh, when we were there, luckily I was not feeling lonely and I, um, we are pretty like familiar with the other media members because we see them through so many fights. So um, it was not, I didn't feel like it was lonely because, you know, aside from the 48 hour quarantine, it, it's like you're able to um, see them. And then when you cover the fights, I mean, everything is socially like distance. Like for example, the post fight press conference, they would have tables, but every media member has their own table to ensure that everything is socially distanced they have uh you you have your own microphone and then also like they're constantly sanitizing wiping everything down and food that's served is um individually wrapped and disposable um so everything i mean again they did a great job making sure that we you know were socially distanced that everything the protocols went smoothly and um, I did not feel lonely. Oh, that's awesome to hear. <laughs> um, and Abu Dhabi was great. So. That I mean, just seeing pictures from it, it looks it, it looks like the whole island is just a huge, like paradise. Yes, it, it literally was. Oh, and I think um, in terms of you know how or what ISL can do. It was like everything was, um, we were in a safe zone and we had to have wristbands and wristbands ensure that you got your COVID test and the results were negative. So every, before every event, they changed the colors of the wristbands um, to make sure that you're updated and whatnot. But we were in like a safe zone. So it was only a certain, um, mile i think it was 10 miles um that you can kind of be like you can only really go so far you know otherwise mm -hmm. like, they'll know if you, you're out of the safe zone but it wasn't a problem well that's i mean that that's all really interesting super good to hear so i'm interested in your insight for, so for those of for for everyone who didn't get to go to an ISL meet, just you know, as 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 a as a former swimmer, as a swim fan, um, how would you describe your ISL experience? It was very great. It was uh, at first, and this is not in a bad way; it's a good way. I was like, "Holy crap! Like, what the hell? Like, this is swimming." in 2020 like i feel like a dinosaur you know like i feel like my in my swimming days like 
this is everything I had wished for when I was young in terms of being able to turn pro. It's like, wow, like this is so awesome. I think because it was at the Mandalay Bay uh, when the ISL took place in Vegas, um, I was very impressed in terms of the quality, the production, um, even the arena uh, that they took to build that pool. I was like, they they, I, I feel like I just saw it as a basketball court or something, and they freaking built a pool. Um, and I was impressed with, like I said, like um, just by looking at it, right? Like the colors, just the visuals. Um, they made it look like it's just a super, like, grand show. It's, in other words, it's like, how I would describe a Golden Knights game to people, it's like, you have to be there to experience and you won't regret it. That's what I would say about an ISL, you know, me. It's like, you have to experience it. It is so professional, so well done, and so well thought out. I'm, I'm very happy for those swimmers and all those pros. And, you know, we got to see some world records being broken, right? Yeah, I mean, especially that Vegas meet, um, just you, you hit the nail on the head. ISL, you have to be there to experience the, the, the full impact that it has because it's, it's unlike any other meet you've ever been to. Um, so again, uh, hitting on this topic, ISL has talked about doing a shortened season like, similar to, to, to Fight Island and getting all the athletes in one location. Um, again, you know, one major difference that popped out at me, I, 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 you would have like around 200 athletes at least, uh, you know, if, if ISL gathered in one location, whereas, you know, UFC, you have your individual athletes and, and their teams are, are pretty limited to, I'm guessing three to five people, something like that. Any, so point and the UFC, like personnel, like the, um, everyone kind of working behind the scenes and even people that worked that were working whether it was at the hotel and stuff uh they said they've been quarantined for 14 days oh wow yeah okay so i'm grateful for the 48 hours even though <laughs> yeah. the end i'm like uh, can i open the door <laughs> right i do i can i can only imagine so so with with your swimming knowledge and your experience at fight island um if, if ISL were to do something similar, what would you say a, a, di a difference or two might be to you in terms of, you know, well, UFC did it this way, but this is a swim meet, you know, with, with swim teams instead of just your individual fighters? Well, here's my question, because for example, UFC, there were four cards on Fight Island. So mm -hmm. it was almost like um, sometimes like the first two fight cards, those fighters and their teams and camps would be there at the same time. And then, you know, after one fight, then the first group of fighters leaves and then mm -hmm. the third group comes in. So it would mm -hmm. slightly interchange in a way. Uh, in terms of the ISL, I mean, would the swimmers be swimming at every meet or, you know, like how would that work? 
Yeah, I, I, they, there haven't been a lot of details about it. I don't think, I don't think we have confirmation that it's actually happening yet. We, it, it, again, not a lot of information. I, I think there would be something like one or two meets per weekend for four weeks, and then you have a championships on week five. So everyone, all two hundred swimmers, would stay in that swim bubble right yes so that there would be 200 plus athletes competing in one pool over the course of four to five weeks well i think and again i mean i'm no medical expert i'm no <laughs> expert in this i'm just going by my experience disclaimer yeah um but in terms of what we did it was like even the day before we flew out we took a COVID test you know mm -hmm. so i think uh the most important, obviously, is if you're going to be somewhere for a month, um, even though you've been, you know, tested before you fly there, um, I think maybe even after or right before every meet, get tested. Um, so it'd be like, you know, once a week. And even though everyone's been tested, um, but just to kind of ensure, you know, that safety and whatnot. Um, and I think, I mean, like, for the UFC, they had a safe zone. So you can only be at, you know, within a certain like radius, right? Or a certain mm -hmm. amount of miles um, to the arena. So I think that if they kind of, you know, have like a little bubble and stuff and make sure they're, you know, um, really making sure that the swimmers like are following the guidelines and the rules and, and also, I don't know, and I don't want to advocate on people being quarantined, but I mean, that, again, like everything the UFC did on Fight Island, like it, it was so smooth and they did such a great job. So I definitely, you know, could see like if the ISL could take stuff away from um, what the UFC did on Fight Island. Yeah. So, and again, I thought you might have a unique perspective in that regard. And I think, uh, you, you, yeah, hope, hopefully, hopefully that all gets to happen. Hopefully we'll have a fight island of our own in ISL. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, I could have, you know, a different perspective, but I, I just feel like, you know, why, why change something that was done so well, right? Like what, what else could have been different and I think that it was such a great model that was done and I understand like swimmers there's like going to be 200 of them but I feel if you you know really like monitor them or make sure that I mean not saying like monitor like watch each like a hawk one by one but just making sure to continue to get regularly tested I mean I think that the method that the UFC used and you know with also having like face masks everywhere, even though swimming is a bit different. So, because I know they're not really going to walk on the pool deck with the face mask, you know, I mean, it's like, right. Or do they, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't been swim mates yet, but yeah, <laughs> they're definitely not swimming with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, that we can be sure of. Um, quick, Quick side note that I just thought of. I don't know if you know this information, but were there positive tests on Fight Island during your time there? 
you know what? Uh, not on the island, no. Not that I can think of. I feel like, no, because the positive test was um, when Kamaru Usman, um, he was going to fight Gilbert Burns, UFC 251. Mm-hmm. And then, but Gilbert was not in Abu Dhabi yet. Okay. And then so they found a replacement in Jorge Masvidal, six days notice, and then um, everything worked out in terms of like finding a replacement. And then thankfully, you know, um, Gilbert Burns, he's doing well and feeling a lot better. But I feel like if there were any scares or like one of the commentators like Paul Felder, uh, he didn't test positive. Um, but it was like, because I believe another coach was positive but it was not none of it was on the island it was like before okay when they were getting ready to um fly or like the day before day or two before Mm -hmm. um so just like being extra cautious so i think that's a big factor too is before taking off and going to wherever destination that the swim meet will be at um, to make sure that they are tested, maybe even, you know, like a week in advance and to make sure, you know, if their coach or if they've been exposed to anybody who's had it, that everyone's safe once they get there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so so let's, let's wrap things up by bringing it back to swimming and bringing it back to your swimming. Uh, if, if my Instagram research is correct, you're, you're back in the pool now. Yeah, um, as of a few months ago, uh, I mean, COVID threw it off when there was no pool, right? But yeah, I mean, I just, I feel like, um, you know, since I stopped swimming, it was a big regret of mine just to, and again, even seeing peers that I race against, and I've even beaten some of them, and they, they're Olympians now, they're pros, and I'm very happy for them, and they'll probably kick my ass now, you know, and I'm sure they will right now, but it's like, it's so cool to see, and, you know, former teammates and stuff, like, make the Olympics and turn pro, I'm so happy for them, and, you know, it's like that part of me that feels like the chapter, um, never really closed right it's like wait I I was not the one to close that chapter and I what worries me in life this sounds kind of weird but I just fear being like one day being 88 years old or something and when you reflect on your life right like do you want to say oh what if like I should have done this. I really wanted to do this when I was younger. And that's what scares me, but pushes me to make sure that I'm always trying to challenge myself to do better and reach my goals. And my boyfriend is very supportive. So when he saw that, you know, I would still cry about just my swimming past. And um, late last year, and he told me, he's like, Helen, you know, I, I support you. I feel like you know, you so want to give it one more chance. You're 28 years old. Like, why not? You're in your athletic prime. And I know that, you know, some things in the body or whatnot, like change through time. And I'm very self-aware. Um, so, you know, right now behind the scenes, I'm trying to figure out how to uh, 
make everything work um, and kind of work with a strength trainer and, you know, talking to like a coach. I, I just don't want to reveal too much yet, but I definitely, you know, I'm working very hard. Um, even, you know, train with, or I wouldn't say train with because she kicks my ass. Um, but in Olympian, she's super cool. Um, when, when I feel like they'll be cool with me talking more about it, like I'll, I'll talk more about it, but you know, I'm, I'm very grateful and overwhelmed by the support so far trying to get back in swimming. And a lot of UFC fighters have been very encouraging to me uh, behind the scenes. And they're like, you know, you should go for it. So I'm trying again, it's going to be a long journey. So uh, I definitely don't want to say too much. I probably am getting my ass kicked a lot. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, I hope, you know, everything will work out, but I'm willing to put in the effort and see where uh, the next four years will go. Hopefully, you know, we'll see where it goes. Olympic trials. Final question. Have you signed with an ISL team yet? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, if they want me to hold the <laughs> or I mean, I could do an interview for them after, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, I wish like that would be an awesome goal. But again, I, I don't want to say too much because I am a realist. So I know it's not an easy task. And I, it's not a task that I could just say, oh, I want to make it to Olympic trials. And just because I was faster when I was young that I could just say it and do it. I want to show people, um, you know, just the hard work and that, uh, and the mental preparation it is, I mean, swimmers know it can be very mentally draining. So just putting myself in that mindset of this is what I want to do. I'm also, I'm still going to do sports reporting. I just, I feel like I could do both. I'm inspired by the Daniel Cormier's who can be a great father, great broadcaster and, you know, champion, right? And it's like, and Stipe, UFC heavyweight champion, also firefighter and, you know, family man and a father. And I'm just inspired by these incredible athletes that I um, get the opportunity to interview. And so hopefully, you know, I'm not going to say too much, but I'll put the work in and hopefully my swimming times eventually will speak for itself. Well, Helen, thank you so much for, for being so honest with us and sharing your perspective. It was, it was really cool getting to talk with you today. Thank you. And I hope for the swimming world, because I am slightly nervous. I'm like, how, how are they going to, you know, view me? They're like, who the hell is this girl? But, um, you know, hopefully my story can help someone and hopefully I can help someone um, in make them know that you know anything is possible and even if you're like afraid of something or you're scared to do something challenge yourself because you never know where it'll take you've been listening to the swim swam podcast stay tuned for new episodes every week you can take swim swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.